Hi, this is Kelly McGonigal, and today we'll be mapping movement on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Kelly McGonigal. Kelly McGonigal is a health psychologist who specializes in understanding the mind-body connection. She's the best-selling author of The Willpower Instinct and The Upside of Stress. Her latest book, The Joy of Movement, explores why physical exercise is a powerful antidote to the modern epidemics of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. Kelly, I'm really thrilled to have you on the podcast. I'm a huge fan of your work. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. We are talking about movement today, and your recent endeavors have led you into this arena. Why movement? Well, movement is the single most important thing you can do to improve your mental and social well-being. Mm. Um, and you know, rather than being a recent foray for me, this is actually probably the thing that I've been most devoted to my entire professional life. I actually started teaching group movement classes way back when I was a graduate student in psychology. So I'm thrilled how much the science has advanced and to finally be able to share it. Let's talk a little bit about that science. How has it advanced and what have you seen during your career? People have known for a while that movement was great for mental health. Um, but I think one of the insights that has been most exciting to me is how much we progress our understanding of, of how built into your biology the psychological benefits of movement are. So to give you just one example, it's only been in the last decade that um, scientists have understood that your muscles are essentially endocrine organs. Mm. And rather than just moving your bones around or stabilizing your skeleton, your muscles are manufacturing all of these different proteins and chemicals that they store in your muscles. And when you contract your muscles, they release these chemicals. Um, and particularly, they release chemicals that are great for your physical health, so chemicals that can reduce inflammation, chemicals that help control blood sugar, chemicals that even can kill cancer cells. Wow. And many of those molecules actually target the brain. And so when you contract your muscles, when you exercise, these molecules are released into the bloodstream. They can cross the blood-brain barrier. And in your brain, um, these molecules, including things like irisin, actually make your brain more resilient to stress. They function as an antidepressant. They can help people recover from uh, you know, even severe stress and trauma. And the name that I found in one of the first papers published talking about them, I think it was maybe 2013, called them hope molecules. Mm. It's this idea that when you exercise, your muscles can actually release hope into your bloodstream. Amazing. Um, and I think like, the, so, you know, a decade ago, nobody had any idea. They were still only talking about the endorphin rush and sort of the feel-good effect of exercise. But now we know that at every level of your system, your body's basically built to support your mental health through movement. 
I love this idea. It really brings us back to how everything in the body is connected and we have to look at all things to support ourselves. And you're coming at this from the psychological impact, but also then seeing how it impacts everything else, the immune system, the endocrine system, everything. When you say movement, did the research point to a certain kind of movement or something that's more extreme versus something that's more laid back or relaxing? What What's the research say? So what I've been telling people is this is a great yes and example. Mm-hmm. My favorite comment. First off, the really good news is that if you're looking for simply the mental health benefits of movement, you want to improve your mood, you want to have better relationships with other people, you want to have even more meaning in life, every single bit counts no matter what any dose works. So what I've been telling people, for example, is as little as three minutes, you put on a song that you love, which already is going to boost your mood and you do any kind of movement, you know, you do some yoga stretches, you do some strength exercises, you climb your stairs or walk around or do some gardening. Any dose of movement at all gives people more energy and more positive emotions, more positive outlook. And these accrue over time. So that's like the good news is whatever can be done with the body that you have in a way that that feels good or feels meaningful is going to give you benefits. But the yes end part is also there does seem to be a dose response relationship as well as an intensity effect for some of the most important mental health benefits. So for example, if you're looking at things like how exercise changes the function and structure of your brain, doing more, doing things that are harder um, may have a bigger benefit than the lowest doses and the lowest intensity forms of movement. So one thing I've been encouraging people to do is, you know, if you're somebody who's thinking about turning to movement as something to support antidepressant medication or therapy, if you are looking at exercise as something to really help you move forward from things like grief and loss, that often intensity is the perfect kind of medicine. And we know that movement forms that require you to go breathless, for example, where you're working hard enough like you, you actually need to slow down. You really do need to take a, a moment, take a break and pause. That's often a really clear physical sign that you're, you're moving at an intensity that is going to have some pretty profound effects on, on your brain function and even your brain structure um, and produce some of the sort of the more striking effects in terms of resilience and well-being. So again, I've been encouraging people to think about nothing, everything counts and also to think about the most challenging form of movement that you can enjoy and take meaning in and that feels appropriate for your body and your life. I love that. I love that we can look at it in um, in myriad ways and the yes and is so important. I'm going to flip the conversation and look at some of the negative mediators that come with not moving that I think uh, are important to highlight for coaches and clinicians in really being able to discuss movement with their patient population, what do we see in the health outcomes when people are essentially couch potatoes? So people who are less active are more at risk for anything that you might want to avoid. But I think what's interesting is people already know this. So there's very little value in talking to people about the unwanted outcomes Mm. that you hope to motivate people to avoid. You know, the People might be aware of my work in the area of behavior change. And one of the things we know is that fear and shame are really bad motivators. So rather than thinking about how, you know, if you remain active, you increase your risk of heart disease or depression or dementia. I mean, like all the scary things you don't want. Um, One of the things that I found most effective 
is to really talk about movement as an opportunity to engage with life in ways that are joyful and meaningful and that actually don't require thinking too far out into the future. So we know that movement actually gives people access to a lot of the core human capacities for joy, whether it's teamwork and cooperation, like you might experience when you're playing sports or you know, doing some physical labor as a volunteer. Um, it gives you access to the ability to enjoy music and moving to music and celebration. It gives us access to the joys of mastery and, and skills, thrill and growth and learning. There's so many things that humans naturally respond to with joy and meaning and movement amplifies all of that. So um, because people basically already know they should be moving more yeah. um, and they know it, yep. the, the key often is to help people figure out a form of movement that fits their life, that feels uh, appropriate and accessible to the body that they're living in and with, rather than sort of fantasizing about like, how can this movement change my body or mm -hmm. even fix my body? And how can movement give you an opportunity to enjoy something you already love? And for many people, it's going to be being active in nature mm -hmm. and how important nature is for mental health and even spiritual well-being. For some people, it's going to be spending time with people they care about, or it's going to be finding a community to connect with because you feel sort of lonely and, and disconnected in your community. For me, it often is music. I mean, there's probably no joy that is sort of easier to to press play in my brain than to get me moving to amazing, powerful, uplifting music. Um, but each person will find that joy. And when people experience movement as an actual source of joy, they're so much more likely to do it and get all of those health benefits. Yeah, that's where the habit change really comes from when there's many ways in which it's feeding uh, our souls, really feeding yes. the spirit. When we look at the right side of the matrix, this is what I call the skills arena. These are the things that we just kind of want to check in with ourselves or check in with our patients. And what's going on in this arena for you? Clearly exercise and movement have their place there. But what I'm appreciating is how much that work, just like every other area of the skills section of the matrix, impacts everything. And I always like to say, if we're not sleeping, we're not pooping, and our blood sugar isn't balanced, then it's hard to pass go. And you're basically talking into how movement aids those core functions. So you mentioned blood sugar balance. Have you seen movement help with people's bodily movements and elimination as well as with sleep? You know, this really is not my area of expertise. I'm a psychologist. And so I'm most interested in both the things that the psychological and social factors that support movement, as well as how movement can uh, affect people's psychological and social well-being. Um, and I can, I'm sure that you could probably answer this question with more expertise than I could for sure, because the body is basically built to be physically active. Yeah. Um, we know that that systems work better when you are more regularly active, and that's going to include higher quality sleep, and it's going to include you know better brain health and better immune function. Um, but I think when I look at that right side of the matrix, the thing that I think people underestimate most is of all of those things that exercise can help with, I think people don't understand how deeply it contributes to a sense of belonging mm. and social connection. And because loneliness is now such yes. an epidemic in our society, 
I have been talking more about how movement enhances our ability to feel like we belong and connect with others. And this really is, is operating at two levels. One is the more obvious, which is we know that when people move together, they form bonds, whether you're talking about team sports or group fitness class or, you know, the community that you do Tai Chi with in the park or when you're, you're playing with your kids in the living room, a walking group that people who move together, they come to like each other more and trust one another more and feel like a part of something bigger than themselves in ways that are actually really important for psychological well-being. But the other thing that that is happening is really happening at the level of biochemistry. Yep. And we know that when you exercise, it increases levels of brain chemicals mm. that their evolutionary purpose, one of their main purposes is to help you connect with other people in your community. So we're talking about brain chemicals like endorphins mm -hmm. and endocannabinoids mm -hmm. and oxytocin, all of which sort of fine tune your human social instincts to encourage you to cooperate with others, to help you bond with other people in your community. And so every single time you exercise, if you exercise hard enough to get a bit of that feel good effect, um, so, you know, it's for most people, it's about 20 minutes. It means getting your heart rate up a little bit. Maybe you break a sweat or you're just breathing more deeply. That 20 minutes of, of continuous movement of any type will lead to these changes in brain chemistry that actually make it easier to connect with others and increase the pleasure that you get from listening to other people share stories or laughing with other people or, or how it feels to get a hug. It actually enhances all of those pleasures. And I think this is one of the reasons why people who are more active report better relationships with other people and less loneliness, because you're basically priming your brain to be that social version of yourself and to be able to take more joy in any sort of um, social interactions with others. Yeah, you're making me reflect on going to my yoga class or going to dance classes. And even in the fall of 2019, I went with my boyfriend hiking in the Dolomites. And when we were in Northern Italy, hiking those Alps, and you would go on these difficult, challenging hikes up to these refugios where you would stay and everybody was in this place that you couldn't get to by car. And there would be this really luscious feeling of community, even with people you didn't know, because you had all endured something. You had all made it. You made it to that location. And it was so rich just to feel that connection and almost this, uh, this just euphoria of having made it and sharing yes. that together. There, there are words for that, right? So psychologists sometimes refer to that as collective joy, mm. which is the euphoria that people feel when they move together or when they exert effort together. And then there's also a term called we agency, which is this like sense of hope and empowerment you feel from having been involved in some sort of collective movement or action, you know, whether you're marching for justice or whether you're in a massive Zumba class, um, that people have this experience of having done something difficult with others. And, you know, still looking at that right side of the matrix, that's actually a huge source of resilience, yes. that when people do something physically challenging with other people, they don't only sense their own strength. They, they do sense their own strength and their own ability to persist or their own av ability to tap into the joy of, of using your body. But they also somehow feel connected to that communal effort, the sense of not being alone, of being in it with others. 
that is a tremendous source of psychological resilience. It's one of the reasons why group movement is often embraced by communities who are facing very big challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, whether we're talking about like racing for a cure or walks that acknowledge um, a loss within a community. That's so interesting. I love that lingo to the we agency, beautiful way of thinking about it. Final question for you, Kelly, around this topic. Was there anything else in the research that just like excited you so much to see that there was research behind what you kind of innately already knew? So, well, I actually, I love research. It tells me things I didn't already know, yeah. like the whole plug that we started with. <laughs> Um, because, you know, one of the reasons, so some people turn to research to try to persuade people to do what they already want, but I use research to make me better and more informed to like to, so the research that surprises me is the research that I get most excited about because that means I understand things now that I didn't understand mm. before. So I will tell you one piece of research that really blew my mind. So I am not somebody who loves to exercise in nature. I mentioned for me, music is the thing that I'm most hardwired to find joy and resilience in. But I spoke with so many people for whom um, spending time in nature, even just like a, a walk with a, a view of the sky or you know some greenery, um, was so critical to mental health. And I mean really critical, you know, yeah. like supportive, even in deep depression. And one of the things that the, the latest neuroscience is pointing to is that being in nature while being active may um, alter your brain activity in ways that are very similar to meditation. Mm -hmm. And you might know I'm actually a meditation researcher. So I'm super interested in why it is that meditation can quiet the mind and create peace of mind and help with things like depression and rumination and anxiety. And there's some burgeoning research suggesting that being active in nature basically has the same effect in terms of shutting down some of the machinery of, of cognitive suffering, that sort of that, that inner monologue, the, the assault of thoughts or memories, the intrusions that, that can make your mind such a difficult place to be, that being active in nature automatically and spontaneously begins to quiet them in a way that often takes serious meditation training to do. But if you look at what's happening at, at, you know, through an fMRI after going for a walk in nature versus after training for hours and hours and hours in meditation, you see a similar effect and people report similar improvements in peace of mind and reductions in feelings of depression and anxiety. So I feel like that was a great study for me to discover because it helps me embrace something that other people have found meaningful and even gives me language to talk about it and why movement is so important. You know, so many people understand that meditation is useful for mental health, but man, it's really difficult for a lot of people. And sometimes like you just meet the parts of your mind that are really not, not useful when you sit down to meditate. And it's so wonderful to be able to say, you know, we know that this thing, meditation and mindfulness works. And also if you try it and it's, it seems to make things worse that you can't find that piece that going out in nature can actually teach your mind how to access that state and give you more um, immediate relief. To me, that was amazing. Mm, Thank you for validating one of my favorite forms of movement. (laughs) And Kelly, thank you for sharing your brilliance with us. I just, again, like I said, I'm a huge fan of your work and love how you bring everything together in ways that we can really understand, embody, and move with. Great. Well, thank you. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix 
team includes music by my son Gilbert Nakayama and production support from Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook, along with sound production by Rowan Bradley. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, please head over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll be sure to drop into your inbox with a short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. You also have an open invitation to email us. We want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15 Minute Matrix. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. <laughs> <laughs>